When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 28th. On today's show, we continue a series of podcasts we began late last week. Now, if you scroll down on your Mini Break podcast feed, you'll see I was joined by the great David Kane to draft our ideal roster of players on the WTA Tour entering the 2023 season. Of course, we speculated on the players we think may take that next leap forward this season. And it's crazy to say this, folks, but tennis starts today. United Cup action underway here Wednesday night in the United States. You can follow all of that action on Tennis Channel. That said, before we get too deep into the 2023 season, we have to draft our ideal roster of ATP players entering this next season. And if we're going to do that, I figured... Why not run it back with the guest who has served as the co-host of the Mini Break podcast here in the month of December, a guest you know best as an editorial producer for Tennis.com and a man who word for word can mouth the opening of this Mini Break podcast to me verbatim. It's our dear friend, David Kane. DK, welcome back to the show. You ready for part two of this exercise? It took me three takes, but I made it this time, guys. You'll be happy to know. We played for entrees last week, but we're playing for cheesecake today. I'm very excited. Yeah, we're, we're raising the stakes here. Maybe this will be the appetizers and the cheesecake and WTA side because we, we agree we're going to get an app, right? Like, I, I think that's an understanding between us. You don't go to the cheesecake factory and not get an appetizer. That's true. Although we're both pasta heads, so I feel like we're pretty cheap dates in that respect. So it kind of, kind of all balances out. I uh, speak for yourself. I am not a cheap date, my friend. I need to be wined and dined, but I'm taken out on the town. <laughs> but with that said, I do want to say Merry belated Christmas to you, my dear friend. How was your holiday season? Did you get to spend some time with your fam? I have to say we're we're pretty much a well-oiled machine at this point. We had three weekends to prepare for this Christmas. We got our tree up. We got our cookies made. We had the fish dinner on Christmas Eve. We really just ticked all the boxes, watched all the movies that needed to be watched. Shout out to Christmas in Connecticut, a classic starring Barbara Stanwyck. My favorite every year is screwball comedy of the ages. And I'm back here in New York City getting ready for the new year. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. This isn't going to be a surprise to our listeners. It's not going to be a surprise to you either. Uh, they know I'm Jewish. And so it was no. like, two- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold for applause. Uh, but, you know, I, I almost brought this up with J.B. Loeb today because I was doing my research for her podcast, and we're recording this on Tuesday, just so you listeners know, but that podcast with Jamie Loeb already released, so that timeline may not make sense when I say I was recording with her today. Anyways, I was looking things up, and on her Wikipedia page, you can link directly to the list of prominent Jewish tennis players, and I thought to myself, like, 
if I'm ever going to get in the prominent Jewish list of people on Wikipedia, it's never going to be in media because there are far more prominent Jewish media members than myself. Can I find a way to sneak it under the guise of famous Jewish tennis players? And that's something I'm going to have to work on in my life moving forward. All of that said, again, it was like two years ago that I figured, I mean, I always knew Christmas was late December, like 23rd through 26th range. The fact that it's the 25th was something I locked into my brain only two years ago. All of that is to say, DK, is fish dinner a thing? Like, I get the cookies for Santa on Christmas Eve, and let me say this, in a Jewish household, it doesn't have to be Christmas Eve for us to cook cookies. We do that all the time in the Gruskin household. That's like a daily staple when we vacation together at the end of the year. But run me through what the traditional Christmas smorgasbord, I suppose, the the board of treats looks like in the Kane household. First of all, a, a happy Hanukkah to you. I, I'm <laughs> remiss you. Well, in, in wishing you. The second tangent would be every day in the Gruskin household is Hanukkah, according to my parents. So they're like, you don't get eight extra days of gifts. You got 365 days of gifts, my friend. We don't need to do an extra eight, but carry on. I have to say I'm very impressed that you finally nailed down December 25th, a day that has not <laughs> changed as long as we've been alive, whereas Hanukkah seems to seems to yeah. take place any old time in December. It actually lined up pretty nicely uh, with with Christmas this year. My my brother's fiance, who is Jewish, came over and celebrated her first Christmas day uh, with us. But Christmas Eve in the Italian-American tradition focuses on the Feast of the Seven Fishes, and that typically involves some combination of your clams, shrimp, scallops, galamad, if you are of the uh, <laughs> Italian dialect. And we m put that all together in as many different uh, combinations of appetizers and entrees as possible. We got up to seven fish if you double count our use of clams because we did baked clams and we did clams and spaghetti in addition to a fish salad that sort of encompasses the bulk of our fish, which includes a shrimp, a scallop, a, a galamad, again, for, for posterity, <laughs> and some fried fish, which is a fried flounder and a lobster tail to top it all off. So it was it was quite a celebration. It's, and it's one of those nice dinners where, because we tend to just top it off with a bit of uh, fresh lemon juice, it's not actually a pretty, it's not a, it's not much of a calorically dense holiday relative to a Thanksgiving. You know, obviously save plenty of room for Christmas cookies, but uh, the dinner itself is actually quite a light affair. Like I, I came off of uh, the Christmas swing feeling a bit leaner for 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 my wares, but I'm pleased to be. I, I got back on the bike though when I got back, when I got back because <laughs> there have been plenty of cookies consumed over the last uh, 72 hours. Oh, I love it! It sounds delicious. When you said fish dinner, my first because in Jewish culture we have gefilte fish, which might be I love you, nanny, the single most disgusting thing in the world. Like. Oh, it's gefilte fish. You would see it and it just screams 1932. Like you're just like, oh, it's been the same recipe, the same salty, disgusting thing uh, for 80, 90 years. And we just haven't gotten rid of it yet. But to all of our listeners, please, I want to be educated on all things Christmas. The reason the date now sticks in my head is my Uncle Steve. Shout out Uncle Steve. Uh, his birthday is on Christmas Day. And let me tell you, he thinks he's the baby Jesus. In his mind, he is. And so that's why it always sticks in my head now, December 25th, Uncle Steve. Oh, it's also Jesus's birthday. Although and you've so, had this uncle presumably for longer than two years. Yeah, just, yeah just but that clear. his birthday only matters now because I have to remember to text him because I oh, see well, him far less frequently than I do uh, when I was younger. But yeah, all of that is to say, I want to know, what are the best Christmas dishes? What are your Christmas 
traditions are you watching any tennis with your family come Christmas time? Certainly, it felt like everyone had time on their Christmas holiday to complain about the court color at the World Tennis League, but perhaps when you weren't doing that, you were enjoying a fish dinner, you were enjoying open up, opening up your gifts, and perhaps even you have a family member who knew you were into tennis, and as such, they got your gift from Tennis Point. And I'll tell you this, if you get your gift from Tennis Point, you had a ton of options, as Tennis Point offers just about anything you're looking for, from all the tennis equipment you could need to the latest and greatest items in pickleball and all other racket sports as well. Now, the good news, of course, is all of that gear still available even a few days after Christmas and throughout the course of the year. All you got to do is go to tennis-point.com, use our promo code CR15. You get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. Symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, DK, I tried to sneak in that pickleball reference here early because, of course, something I know the Tennis.com team has been doing is previewing all the biggest storylines heading into 2023. And sadly, there's no denying it. If you've been following Tennis Twitter discourse over the course of the past month or really over the course of the past year, the rise of pickleball is something that has seeped into a lot of conversations being had in tennis social media. And to be honest, and I talked about this on yesterday's mini break, so perhaps listeners are sick of hearing me say it, but I also said on that show I wanted to bring in someone smart to have this conversation with. Now, unfortunately, I don't have someone smart, but I do have you here, DK, so let's have the conversation anyway. Um, With that in mind, you guys just wrote about pickleball, about the argument, how much of a threat is pickleball to tennis, or can the two coexist over on tennis.com? It was yourself, John Levy? Levy? Not sure. What, Levy? First one? You know Levy? what? I've actually never heard it out loud, but I'm going to go with Levy. Okay, we'll go with Levy, then Joel Drucker, Steve Tigner, talking about where pickleball is in relation to tennis. And unfortunately, I do think the loudest voices in this conversation, DK, are the voices that make this argument so polarizing. It seems as though if you're going to speak out on the pickleball versus tennis conundrum we find ourselves in, people are very firmly ensconced, shout out to June David K. firmly ensconced in one camp or the other. You're either team pickleball or you're team tennis. Now, reading your section in this tennis.com article, I think you're of my camp of thought, which is just that absolutely the two can coexist. And just because the loudest people happen to be polarized on this topic, I do not think that's reflective of the racket sport playing populace at large. You seem to agree with that line of argument. I do. And one thing I did want to add that I didn't mention in my blurb is that this Tennis versus pickleball discussion is very much an American issue. Tennis, last I checked, is a sport that's played around the world. So with respect to uh, the the great surge of pickleball throughout the United States, I don't know if that's necessarily by definition an immediate existential threat to tennis the world over because we're only really seeing pickleball surge in these here 50 states. With that said, I mean... It's one of those situations where something is new, something is hot, something is really, you know, taking this uh, the states by storm. And there is that question of how much is pickleball encroaching on tennis? Will we see a lack of new tennis courts being built? Are tennis courts being retrofitted or changed into pickleball courts? Will players looking to play tennis not find that same availability of tennis courts uh, in their local area? And 
it just doesn't seem like an immediate threat to me. It seems like the kind of thing that is just an alarmist situation. There is a bit of elitism, I feel, coming from the debate. And that's coming from an elitist myself. I grew up on Long Island in Rockville Center, a town where the center is spelled R-E, the French way. <laughs> so no one gets more elitist than I. And yet I will say, I don't find this to be an immediate threat. We are seeing a new a, a rise of competitive pickleball tournaments we're seeing a major league pickleball release their draft and they are very much in what appears to be their formative stages i mean it's the very definition of this major league pickleball setup is going to have a promotional relegation league in the sense that they're still trying to figure out what makes an elite pickleball player so to the extent that pickleball is an existential threat to tennis i don't see it being a debate worth having for at least another 5, 10, 15 years, because we don't even know what the number one pickleball player looks like. And in order for a sport to really grow, I think you have to have a coterie of stars and they don't even have that yet. So I'm not really worried about pickleball, you know, pushing tennis. And I don't picture someone who either gets into tennis or pickleball vice versa and not having the option to, you know, I, I don't see a story where ah, the, the nearest the nearest tennis court was 500 miles away. I think they'll, <laughs> tennis will always be readily available for those looking for it. Could not agree with you more. I always turn to my personal anecdotes. My second father, Hamid Benouni, who uh, has been a lifelong tennis fan, has recently picked up pickleball, and he is obsessed with it. Anytime he can sneak in an hour of pickleball, he does it. I remember when we were kids, because obviously, I mean, I don't know why I say obviously here, his son, Dustin Benouni, my best friend for life, you know, we used to throw balls around the house in the basement, right, or play ping pong or do all these things, and a ball would hit against the wall. And he used to always yell at us, not only because it was loud, but because don't chip the paint, don't hurt the wall. He has now set up in his basement a mini pickleball tape line that he practices his pickleball dinks on. And boy, the hypocrisy there. I love Yahamed, who I call dad because it's just easier at this point. Calling someone at 27, Dr. Benuni doesn't feel right. The problem is he's always going to be a, an authority figure to me, so I can't call him Hamid either. So I just went with dad and it works for all of us. Um, you love to see the hypocrisy there. Anyways, the point is his love of pickleball has not in any way impacted his love of tennis. And, you know, again, does he spend more time playing pickleball now than maybe he does playing tennis? Absolutely. But guess what? When you're pushing 60 years old, it also becomes a little bit easier to play the geriatric version of tennis, which is pickleball. And when I watch pickleball being played as a product DK, I really think the best comparison for it is doubles. The speed at which it's played, the reflexes, the touch that's required, the improvisation that seems to happen point by point. High-level pickleball, in my opinion, I don't want to say it's no different than high-level doubles, but that to me is the closest comparison for it. And like, if you are a tennis player and you are threatened by a sport whose highest aspiration is high-level doubles, you need to go look in the mirror. And just re-examine these life choices you are making if you're feeling threatened by this game, which I understand is getting valuable hours being shown on Tennis Channel. But guess what they're showing the other 20 hours of the day? They're showing tennis, whether it be in Europe, whether it be in Asia, ATP, WTA. There is plenty of tennis available still. And to your point, yes, of the six courts in your public park, Maybe two of them have been converted into four pickleball courts for action to be played. But guess what the other four courts are? They're still tennis courts. And this idea that one threatens the other, and I want to read what a really wise writer wrote in this tennis.com peak. Quote, and I want to say, 
Much as pickleball has captured the public's imagination, the war between it and tennis is largely imagined. The apoplectic tone tennis fans take when it comes to where pickleball fits in the racket sports discourse ignores the fact that the racket sports ecosystem has always been large. Racketball, anyone? How about squash or paddle or ping pong? I'll tell you what, this Tennis.com writer, David Kane, he's on to something because that's exactly it. He sounds very handsome. And (laughs) and let me just add the fact that, I mean, to the extent that pickleball is, quote, easier, less uh, straining on the body, I see if if racket sports are a bell curve, I very easily see pickleball at the beginning and the end. It is a sport that you can use to get into tennis, and it is a sport that you can play when tennis perhaps becomes – physically too demanding i mean i think that there is a way to incorporate both in your in your playing life it is a way to it is certainly a social thing it is a way to get people who've never thought of playing tennis just onto the onto any court and i think when you have a racket and ball in your hand there is going to be a natural curiosity for similar sports so the more similar sports there are the better it is for tennis absolutely and the idea of hosting pickleball events at tennis uh, simultaneously two tennis events. I know there are a ton of college uh, coaches and a ton of college programs that are already doing that to bring parents to their events who will then stick around to watch the tennis or perhaps while the parents are playing pickleball, the tennis, uh, the, the younger kids are participating in a tennis clinic. I absolutely agree. It's a gateway to racket sports, which is ultimately what we need to be promoting as tennis fans. Any sort of entry point to, your, uh, to what you're saying into the game, whether it be via pickleball, whether it be just straight up starting with tennis, beggars can't be choosers. Like we have to be happy with how anyone is getting involved in racket sports. And again, I said these names then I would say it to their face, but like the immense polarization, like shout out to Renee Stubbs who can find the negativity in just about any sort of spin we're trying to find here as it relates to pickleball. I think it's asinine or like the fact that Sam Query and John Isner, Nick Kyrgios, Jack Sock and Naomi Osaka, I know, is participating in a pickleball something in Miami coming up. If they want to do that in the month of December, more power to them. Or if they want to do that when they're done with the majority of their playing career, credit to you for trying to fit, uh, find a way to stay relevant in athletics. Who are we to criticize them for that fact? I mean, it is funny because the people who are complaining the loudest do and will always have the easiest access to tennis. I mean, the people who are worried about not being able to watch tennis they're able to watch tennis. I don't really think that that's a concern. And I think, again, anyone who really wants to watch it is able to do it. And it's just one more racket sport, you guys. It's just one more. And the more that there are, the easier it's going to be for everybody to just get along. Amen. Couldn't agree with you more. I am not going to block people who bring up pickleball negatively. I may mute you if it becomes unbearable. And by the way, on the flip side, I like Matt Manassi in our experiences. He's always been kind to me, but... I mean, the the reverse trolling, by the way, the pro pickleball argument, if you're team pickleball in lieu of tennis, like the two polarized sides, the two radical extremes, prepare to be muted on my timeline moving forward. Just to, This is the end of our pickleball discussions here at uh, Cracker Rackets. I feel like we have put the final bone. Again, if you want to read about pickleball, how much of a threat is it to tennis, go check out tennis.com, the article written by David and his friends with all 
all of that said, DK, we did not come here to get into a faux argument or agree about the state of the argument regarding pickleball versus tennis. We came back here to draft our ideal 2023 roster of players. And it's crazy to do this, particularly given United Cup action starts tomorrow. It is crazy to think we will have tennis, or I suppose today, for all of our listeners. We will have fresh tennis back on our screens moving forward. But just a quick reminder before we get into our draft of what the rules are here moving forward. Last time, we did not do a snake draft. Do you want to do a snake draft this time, DK, or do you want to stick with the same rules? I'm happy to do a snake-style draft this time in the, in the name of fairness. Okay, in the name of fairness, even though I blew you out in the last draft, we will go with a snake draft here today. And a reminder, we are drafting players based on a couple of different quantities. Level of intrigue in this player. It's an arbitrary category, but how interested are you in the rise, fall, progression, whatever it may be, of this player in 2023? Similarly, if you see a player lower ranked who you think is going to make a massive leap in ranking. That's something DK and I are valuing quite highly, I imagine, on our draft boards here today. And then again, what we just established, it's going to be a snake draft. You're going to draft one top five player, one player ranked six through 15, uh, six through 15 or six through 20. I forget what six it was. Six through 20. Six through 20. Through 50. Yes, thank you. Six through 20. Two players ranked 21 through 50. 151 plus wild card. So we'll have our rosters of five. With that said, DK, we are ready to rock and roll. Super producer Daniel Westoff, give me the draft music. And so I ask you, David Kane, would you like the first pick or would you like the next two? I'll take the next two. Okay, he takes the next two. That's probably a wise decision. Here's what I would also point out, just a quick fact for all of you listeners. No Novak Djokovic. Much like we banned Iga Svantec from the WTA conversation, we've done enough Novak talk here at Cracked Rackets in the month of December and just about every time we do a podcast. How can you not bring up Novak Djokovic? So we're going to avoid him moving forward here on today's show. Okay, just a quick recap. That means here are the four players we can draft from in the top five. Carlos Alcaraz, Rafa Nadal, Kasper Ruud, Stefano Tsitsipas. I'm taking none of them, DK. With my first pick in our 2023 ideal ATP player draft. I want to snag him before you can. I am just ready to climb all aboard the Felix Ogier Aliasim train. And listeners of our podcast will know that FAA has been a tier one player for me since he was 12, 13 years old. I mean, go back Look at the record books. Go back. Read the Colette Lewis articles. And, of course, Colette, the GOAT, does a better job of documenting what's happening in the junior world than anyone else out there in the tennis media ecosystem. Every list of youngest to do X, youngest to do Y, youngest to do Z. Felix is on those lists as it pertains to the ATP Tour. One of the five youngest players to win a challenger match, five youngest to win a challenger title, five youngest to win an ATP Tour level match. Now, of course, the ATP Tour level titles came a little bit later, but you look for Felix, how he was able to end the 2022 season to rip off the run he did post-US Open. He goes and wins Florence. He goes and wins Antwerp. He goes and wins Basel. It is damn near impossible 
to win three consecutive weeks in a row on the ATP Tour. And I wish I had the comprehensive list of players who have done it in the 21st century. To my knowledge, in the past five to ten years, there's really only two guys who have won three titles in three consecutive weeks. Kasparu did it last year. During the Olympic stretch, everyone was overplaying in Tokyo. He remained in Europe, won three straight clay court matches, uh, three straight clay court events, excuse me, last season. Felix is able to do the same to end this year. And how did things turn out for Casper last year coming off of that three-week run, folks? Oh, yeah, he made two slam finals in 2022. He made that next uh, step from a Tier 2 talent to a Tier 1 caliber guy throughout the course of the season. I think that's got the jump Felix has written all over it. And again, you look for Felix, who in 2022 ends the year 60-27 and overall in matches. Now, that doesn't include his World Tennis League play, where perhaps the thing you'll be most happy about, DK, he smoked the covers off of Alex Zverev in their final match in the final. And I happened to watch that match with my two brothers, who I cajoled into watching a little December tennis with me here in Florida. When I talk about my older brother who likes tennis, doesn't love it, but even he was watching Felix and he goes, whoa, like, what is this serve? What is this forehand? This just looks different than what everyone else is capable of. And that's always been the thing for Felix is go watch him play in person. You will hit him here a forehand. I've said this a million times, but it sounds like a fighter jet taking off. It is just a different sound coming off of his racket than you will hear from 99.9% of professional tennis players. And to do something that elite, that frequently, to be able to replicate it with such ease, it's just a non-negotiable. And like, I'll figure out what the Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club equivalent is on the men's side. But Felix would be in it. And to see him play Rafa five sets at Roland Garros this past year, he's obviously already made a deep run at Wimbledon before. He's made a deep run at the U.S. Open before. You look for him these past two two years, not just 2022, but 2021, he had successful second-week pushes in Australia. It's been slow and steady for Felix. He has been the tortoise to Carlos Alcaraz's hair, Yannick Sinner's hair. But he's also always been the heir apparent. And to see him make that final leap and win three straight events in a row, then follow that up by making the semifinals in Paris, qualifying for his first tour finals, getting a much-needed win over Rafa in those tour finals to avoid the dreaded 0-3 first-time experience, I'm just all in on the 22-year-old, who, again, that's a key number. He's 22 freaking years old, and it's just like he was holding serve over 93% of the time that last month of the season. That would be number one on the ATP Tour, and you watch with your eyes, and I always say statistics in tennis, as much as I like to use them, tennis is a sport where you use the statistics to justify what you're seeing with your eyes. That number matches what I'm seeing with my eyes. He's an elite server. He has elite weapons. He has elite size. He has elite athleticism. I think this is the year where we see Felix put together an unequivocal top 10 season from start to finish. That's my first pick, DK. Apologies for the early monologue. What say you? I have to be honest, he wasn't on my short list. Wow! (laughs) There are a few things. I mean, obviously, 
the Felix Oje Aliasim argument is always very much about long-term success that when all is said and done, Felix will have a hall of fame resume. And I think there are plenty of reasons to believe why that's true. The technique is very strong. As you said, the physicality is great. The steady improvements have been impressive. There are a couple of things that still give me pause about Felix. Primarily the fact that he has beaten one top 10 player at a grand slam. He really lacks that sort of signature major win. And that win came against Alexander Zverev at Wimbledon. Um, two years ago and he obviously had two really big chances to get a really signature win and had plenty of chances against Daniel Medvedev and Rafael Nadal at the Australian Open and Roland Garros didn't get either of those and then didn't really perform that great at either Wimbledon or the US Open where he performed so well uh, in 2021 so it really feels like if you bet on Felix enough times eventually he will come through but it has not happened in the way that probably, as you said, we expected it to, the way it's happened for a Carlos Alvarez and even to a lesser extent, the way it's happened to a Yannick Sinner. I mean, just the way that Felix does, or in many cases does not perform in the best matches against the best players in the biggest tournaments is a little worrisome. Yes, he had a fantastic fall, won three straight tournaments, and then went to the, uh, you know, the ATP finals in Turin, gets pretty much, you know, his block knocked off by Casper Ruud, who, you know, I, I think everyone would pick Felix and Rude over Rude in a sort of long-term potential battle. And yet Casper is the one who I think is making the better gains in many respects, at least on paper. Again, even if you're looking at overall potentially, you'd still want to give the nod to Felix, but it just hasn't happened yet. And I, you have to think it will because he keeps putting himself in positions for success, but for all of the positions he's, all the times he's been in that position, he hasn't really, he doesn't have a really great success rate yet. So you know, if you're going to bet on him now, you know, this year's as great a time to do it, but it's not something that I think is necessarily guaranteed to happen next year. Maybe it'll happen the year after. I mean, I think if you keep betting on him, eventually it's going to pay off. Quarterfinals of the Madrid Masters lost to Zverev this year. Quarterfinals in Canada lost to Rude this year. Quarterfinals in Rome lost to Djokovic this year. Semifinals in Paris lost to Runa. To make four quarterfinals, at least, oh, excuse me, five quarterfinals or further at the Masters level this year. I missed out on his quarterfinal at Cincinnati where he lost to eventual champion Borna Chorich. Five Masters quarterfinals? You're in the ball game. And, like, looking at what he did at the Slams this year, only one quarterfinal for him. Obviously, the disappointing first-round loss to Cressy in Wimbledon, disappointing second-round loss to Draper at the U.S. Open. The thing is, as disappointing as those losses were, he made up for it with his month of October, with how he finished the season. And again, it's an in, it's a non-quantifiable thing, but everything about the end of his season just screamed it all clicked. Like all the pieces, to your point, have finally come together. And the technique being as flawless as it is, the physicality being as flawless as it is, I would highly recommend... It's not a Tennis Channel product, so I apologize, but go to YouTube and just search FAA Offseason 2021. You'll get to watch Tennis TV's behind-the-scene look with him in wherever it is, all those players. I think it's Monte Carlo or wherever it is. They're all training in the offseason. Everything just screams winner. I mean, this is a guy with, I think, a 100% approval rating amongst fans. No one has the, here's the zag on Felix as the human. And I just, you're betting on the human, you're betting on the talent. 
again, from a stock-up perspective, Carlos Alcaraz is the world number one. Now, I have a feeling DK is about to pick him because he's still on the board, and maybe if you, you're world number one and you hold that number one, guess what? You're still number one in the freaking world, and we say all the time, Carlos Alcaraz still not eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation. After this year, Felix was eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation. I know that's going to be tough for some FAA fans to hear, but we've officially eliminated Felix from that talk. That said, I still have him as an unequivocal tier one guy moving forward. I will be shocked if we leave the decade without seeing at least one Felix Slam title. And, every, you know, I'm ready to double down on that take based off of what he did this past season. With that said, that's my first overall pick. And it's because I don't want to pick Nadal. I don't want to pick Rude. I don't want to pick Paz. I don't know how Rude stock gets higher. I just, I'm, I don't want to pick Paz. I'm bored with the Rafa conversation. This pick, to me, came down to Felix or Carlos, and I wanted to be interesting. So I took Felix first. That said, pick number two goes to you, DK. Who are you taking with your first shot? So Felix was your top six to top 20 pick. No, Felix is, Felix is my top five pick, but he's number six. But, you know, again, he's not top five, but he's number six on the board. So I'm taking him because I don't want to be the top five let's you player. pick a top five guy. I mean, realistically, with Nadal, with Novak Djokovic, rather, off the board, there's really only two picks between yeah. that, you know, and I thought one would pick, one of us would pick one and one of us pick the other, but okay. <laughs> Always messing with the rules. Do you see game. what? But no, but, no, I'm, I'm not messing with it because it's not cheating if I defer the top five and pick someone less in their spot, right? Like I still have. Cheat- no, it's not cheating, but there's something I don't know. I'll just. Well, here's what, the way I think I re- of it because I like getting you frustrated. I think he ends the year in the top five, and I, I really do. Like I think he is stock up. I, this I, is the 2023 draft. This is not the 2024 <laughs> draft. Alex Gruskin. What I just want to throw in a stat just for reference, please against. Players ranked below him in 2022, Felix was 53 and 19. Against players ranked above him, he was seven and eight. And I'm not that impressed with those seven wins. I mean, one of them is against Djokovic at Labor Cup, and one of them is against, you know, a fairly unimpressive Nadal at Turin. So you take those two out, then all of a sudden it's five and eight. I mean, I think that's really the number that's going to have to flip um, in. 2023 obviously he's not going to have as many cracks against players ranked above him the higher he gets up in the rankings but still when he's up against these top guys he's really got to flip that five flip that to a 500 or better uh win percentage and that's part of why when i look at the top guys or the importance of a top five pick that really would give me pause and i think he's a very strong top six to 20 pick especially looking at some of those guys ranked between six and 20 but i will pick a top five guy because (laughs) i like to win and we we've got a pretty big we got a pretty big bet riding on this. So I I really would like to win this 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 uh this draft. And so I feel like you kind of did make the argument for Carlos Alcaraz for me as the top five pick. I was leaning towards Nadal because it really comes down to what do you value? Do you value the present or do you value a long, glorious past? And obviously, as we've discussed, Rafael Nadal broke a, a new record of uh, consecutive weeks of the top ten. The children who were born when Rafael Nadal first entered the top 10 are currently about to go to college. It has been about 17 years since Rafael Nadal has not been ranked inside the top 10, a statistic that really boggles the mind and it will be one more bullet in the greatest of all time debate, especially in light of the fact that both Nadal, both Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic spent periods, you know, for injuries or otherwise outside of the top 10. Nadal's always been there. But with that said, I mean, if you're, if you're picking Felix, cause he feels like he's made of win, you know, or will be made of win. Carlos Alcaraz is made of win right now. I mean, mm-hmm. just so provided he stays healthy, he is 
pretty much unbeatable. And that's what, what we saw at the U.S. Open against those seven guys who all played him very strong, were not intimidated by his immense talent and still found themselves on the losing end. Outgutted, out, you know, out physicality. It's just he is the total package. And in a sport where we have seen guys dominate the sport for 20 plus years, Carlos Alcaraz very much seems like the latest prototype on that assembly line. And it's hard to bet against him. Certainly, you know, obviously, uh, Felix has gotten the better of Carlos over the last couple of matches this fall, but I think a fitter, fresher Carlos really takes 2023 by storm. And so he will be my number one draft pick to the surprise of nobody. Yeah, it's a very good pick. You mentioned that Rafa stat. I'm trying my best to not interrupt you. One of my new New Year's resolutions here is to let the guests speak, but Rafa enters the top 10 April 25th, 2005. Nicholas Gruskin, April 25th, 2002. So like Rafa's top 10 career is one Nicholas in age. Two, two famous men. Yeah, exactly. Two celebrities. Two, two famous lefties, I'd point out there we as go. well. Yeah. Um, Smaller pool. Yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, look, I I said it partially as a joke, but not actually. Like, he's not eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation. I've pointed this out before, maybe even with you when we had our tier one, tier two, et cetera, et cetera, discussion. Like, Alcaraz's age 19 season, the only person who has unequivocally had a better age 19 than him in 21st century ATP tennis is Rafael Nadal. It's the only guy. And when that's the measuring stick, when you're better than Federer, when you're better than Djokovic, when you're better than Zverev, even, you know, who was also a very good 19-year-old, it needs to be pointed out, better than Murray, all these guys, like, yeah, that's freaking nuts. And one could view him if we're trying to make comparisons here. I'm not the best at this, but he's Apple, right? In the 2010s, where like if you bought Apple stock in 2010 and you had it, or January 1st, 2011, and you had it all the way through December 31st, 2020, you got a lot of value out of Carlos Alcar- uh, out of the Apple stock during that decade-long stretch. If you have Carlos Alcaraz stock, December 21st, 2022. And you're holding it till December 31st, 2030. You're going to extract a ton of value out of that Carlos Alcaraz stock. Because, again, you look at all the numbers you want to point to here in the 2022 season. He's one of five guys to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. You look for him in terms of top 20 wins. 18 overall in the season when 18 and 9 trailed only Novak Djokovic in that category. You want to go top 10 wins. He trails only Novak Djokovic tied with Holgaruna 9 and five against top 10 opponents. He ends the year as the world number one. The three five-set victories on his way to the U.S. Open title, laughable. The fact that he had any legs left when, honestly, in the start of that final against Kasparud at that U.S. Open, it kind of looked like he was running out of gas in the tank, particularly after he loses that second set 6-2. You're just thinking to yourself, okay, like, maybe this kid is 19. Maybe he's not superhuman. Nope. He's superhuman, and he goes on to win the match in four sets. And, yeah, you know, you look for him. He goes six and three, six and four, excuse me, in the matches he played following the U.S. Open. Who the f*** cares? Like, no one. Absolutely no one. He was that good throughout the course of his first six months on the year. And, yeah, it, it it's a no-brainer. It's a really good pick. Uh, you know what the truth is, DK, is I owe you a, a Cheesecake Factory dinner. And so maybe I'm just trying to put myself in a position where I can finally give you some sort of payoff for all the hours and time you have given us here at Cracked Rackets. It's, it's an exceptional pick. I have no qualms with you. Let me ask you this, though. 
what does Carlos Alcaraz need in your mind for it to be considered a successful season? Like, I know status quo is obviously success because he's world number one, but what do you want from Carlos? By the way, Carlos Alcaraz, 30.8 break percentage the past two years. Through his first 121 matches on the ATP Tour, he has broken serve 30.7% of the time. That, my friends, is a generational returner. It goes like Djokovic 1, Rafa 2, Prime Murray 3, and Alcaraz 4. Like, though, and, and some will say Agassi 5, but like even Prime Agassi is not breaking 30% of the time because the 1990s is a whole different ball game. That's the list he's already on. I mean, what do you need to see from him for things to be considered status quo or successful? I mean, unfortunately for Alcaraz, he sets a pretty high bar for himself based on potential and the fact that he's probably going to be a top two and a half, if not top two favorite at at least three of the Grand Slams in 2023. With that said, you'd have to think he's got to win at least one for it to be considered a successful season. We've seen the ATP slams be spread amongst a very minute party over the last two decades, basically since Rafael Nadal broke into the top 10. And so you'd think he's going to get at least one split with them with, um, Nadal and Djokovic barring some, you know, major shock or catastrophe. If he really wants to have a, you know, an all time, you know, start really building that case to being that next big three guy, you'd look for him to win at least two, maybe three. I mean, we think of where we were earlier this spring. It really seemed like he was just going to run the table at the next three slams. So certainly three slams is not beyond his capabilities, but I would say at least one to two is probably where where we want to see, you know, a a surging and an ascendant Carlos Alcaraz by the end of next year. I would like to see him make the ATP Tour Finals. Now, if he wins a second slam— He did slam, make the ATP Tour Finals. No, I'm saying <laughs> I know and play mean. them, yes, and be healthy and get through the season all 40 weeks or 45 weeks again, whatever they may be. I would like to see him pace himself maybe a little bit better during the clay court season. I mean, this is a guy who played almost 35—you know, like— as fun as the final was between he and Sinner and Umag in the middle of July, as fun as the final was between he and Musetti and Hamburg in the middle of July, you don't need to play both of those events. I probably only needed to see Hamburg or Umag. And the reason I bring up this idea of pacing himself, and by the way, if I'm saying this, you think Juan Carlos freaking Ferrero isn't saying this to Alcaraz? You don't think they have a 15-year, 20 You know, this is Mao Zedong's China. They've got a 15-year plan, not just a 5-year plan, not just a 10-year plan, but they have this built out to a T. Better pacing, slightly better second serve, certainly. But yeah, I want to see a healthy season. And even if he doesn't win a Grand Slam title in 2023, because I think there are a lot of, you know, again, the window right now for Zverev, the Tsitsipas of the world, the Medvedevs of the world, where things are a little bit more urgent, you feel like 2023 is that much more significant for them than it is for a guy who turns 20 years old in May. Um, I want to see him healthy. I want to see him play in the Tour Finals. I just want to see him sustain. Like, if he puts together a second top 10 season at the age of 20, yeah, this is a generational Hall of Fame talent. So to me, that's what I define as success any final thoughts on Alcaraz you'd like to add, DK, or you want to move to your next pick? Just to your point, I feel like we are going to see a different calendar from yes. Team Alcaraz in 2023. I mean, you have to remember, he started the year ranked outside the top 20, and he scheduled like a guy who was ranked outside the top 20. <laughs> I think we're going to see a slightly different, more selective scheduling. We probably will see him play a clay court event after Wimbledon, unless he wins Wimbledon, perhaps. But sure. I don't think he will play this sort of back-to-back. And again, we're also going to see how this sort of 
non off season off season bears into say the February golden swing in South America. Will some of these guys go and play those events or will they take the time off to train and get ready for the sunshine double in March? So I definitely think we're going to see a different schedule from him. Next okay, year. And, if, and if we don't, it'll be a problem to be honest. Before I let you get to your next pick highest appearance fee on the ATP tour. Do you think Alcaraz now demands it? I don't think he, I uh, know. No, I don't no think Djokovic as as... In, in the non Djokovic Nadal category. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, unequivocally. Pretty clear, right? Like, yeah. do you think it's seven figures? Certainly, I have to, have to think it's high six, if not seven. I mean, it's... he is that, he is, if he is, if Nadal and Djokovic are the present, he is the future. He is the future, you know, TM. Like, it is, that is the guy <laughs> that you're looking to, you want to have him at your tournaments, if you can have, or in addition to Nadal and Djokovic. And I think when you go down the rankings, there's a pretty steep drop off in terms of, wow, star power, because he just, and and the more and the more I think he gets comfortable with himself, and the more charismatic he becomes, you know, he's able to sort of settle into his own personality. I think we're going to see another big star. You know, the ATP must be just so happy with, with how the, how things are developing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Very well said. Well, with that in mind, DK, let's move on to our next topic, our next pick here. You're going, I assume, chronologically, much as you did in the last draft. See, I've learned how to anticipate. how my mind works. Yeah, I know your game now here, DK, so I can see your draft board once again. 6 through 15, if your team has has Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner, I'm going to be rooting for your team over my own team even here. But again, next category is 6 through 15 for our listeners following along who are trying to guess our picks. DK, who is your 6 through 15? So I was tempted to jump around, but I'm guessing you're probably going to grab another 6 through 20 guy in light of the fact that you eschewed the top five. No disrespect to Rafa, Casper, uh, or Sitsipas, But I kind of feel like I want to keep the how do you do fellow kids theme going and go with Holger Runa. I just think Ooh. that I, I think I want to put my money on both of them because I think that that was sort of the takeaway from the last six months of the 2022 season is that these young guys, that this next, next generation is coming on strong. They are confident. They are very much the epitome of this modern tennis, you know, Alcaraz and Runa, in my opinion, play a very aesthetically. It's not a totally dissimilar game. Obviously Alcaraz is so much more physical. I have to think we're going to see a more physical Holger Runa in 2023. And so I, I'm, I'm tempted to go with both of them. So he's going to be my second pick. Did you see the video of Holger and Tsitsipas slamming forehands cross-court in their training session? I think I saw the thumbnail. It was, about. it was exceptional. And as someone who likes to do forehand cross-courts with my friends still, whenever I can cajole them into drilling with me to try and work on the game, because again, binary system, I'm a one, not a zero. It always comes back to my tennis game, as you know, DK. To see Holger stepping into his forehand and hitting it as confidently and decisively as he did, I would question or question. I would ask all of you go back to 2021, December 2021, when we had him on our podcast, and I asked him because watching all of his challenges. What a great, what a great uh, get in retrospect. Yeah, well, you know, again, forward thinking. That's what we do here at Crack Rackets, DK. We're looking into the future. Who cares about the present when we can th- presence when we can think about the future instead? Uh, when I look at 
Holger Runa, just, again, the physicality was never the issue. The backhand, the ability to construct points, the broader skill set of the wherewithal of how to win a tennis point. He's always had that within him, but developing the easy weapons for himself. We saw that in the serve for him down the home stretch. You look for him in the post-U.S. Open run of play, whether it was, you know, Sofia, Stockholm, Basel, Paris, where he's having all these different sorts of successes. You look at him Again, statistically, what he's able to accomplish, he was holding serve 92.5% of the time. That would have ranked, you know, first, right ahead of Nick Kyrgios if extended for the full duration of the season. And again, during that run, he goes 19-2. and And, you know, it's not just how that he was winning. It was who he was beating during that stretch. 8-1 and one against top 20 opponents. Wins over Tsitsipas, Sinner, Nori, Hercots, Rublev, Elkarez, FAA, Djokovic. Any sort of subsect genre of top 20 player, top 20 style of play, he beat them on an indoor hardcourt, which... To those scholars of Holgaruna out there, you think that's probably not his best surface, right? His best surface is probably a physical clay court where he gets to use his movement, use his creativity, use his broad, broad skill set and the tools in his arsenal. And there's also this idea, and this is an intangible thing; it's a non-quantifiable thing. Holgaruna loves tennis. Like this is a guy whose life is built around becoming the best tennis player he can become. And maybe when he's 23, 24 years old, maybe there is a little bit of burnout because he has been chasing that for so long. But right here, right now, when he's at his hungriest, when he's on the precipice of doing such special things, and again, you look for Runa, ends the year, currently ranked, I believe, number 11 uh, here overall. By the way, the amount of tennis Runa has played over the course uh, in this pandemic era, Holger Runa, since August 2020 overall, he has played a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of matches. DK, you want to guess how many since August 2020? Challenger, Futures, all of the above. How many matches has he played during this stretch of time? Since the since August 2020? August 2020. Uh, um... I'm going to say 180. 209 matches okay, in, in two and a quarter. Yeah, again, Price is right. You're coming very close here, DK. That, that shows me this is a guy who's all about the match play, who's all about making that climb in the rankings, and he's done that now. And again, you look for him start of 2022. He was pretty solid to start last year, you know, playing qualifying, playing challenger events, but that said, he doesn't have a ton of points to defend until we really get to the start of the clay court season. You could see a world where he gets up to top five in the world. And if he's a top five seed going into the French Open, I mean, again, dangerous, dangerous section of the draw. Again, it's the more it's it's the skill set more broadly. The fact that, you know, to end the year, he is his hold percentage is 83.1 percent. That's above the tour average of a top 50 player. His break percentage is 23.1 percent. That's above the average of a top 50 player. Your favorite club to belong to, David. He was one of just 10 players in 2022 to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And he did all of that at 19 freaking years old. Now, you want to hear something equally crazy? Holgaruna is like four days older than Carlos Alcaraz, which is just like a hilarious thing to say out loud. But who are two other players who are a week apart that constantly pushed each other to success? Oh, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic, who were literally born one week apart. And to always have that litmus test that you're always pushing towards. Yeah, like 
I do think Holger is a guy who eats, lives, breathes, sleeps tennis, DK. And that's why I think it's a really good pick because you do feel like there's a world where his stock... I mean, do you consider him a tier... Uh, I consider him a tier one talent. Now, I, I think we had this debate. I have moved him into my locks to win a slam by January 1st, 2030. Is he in that conversation for you now? I do. And I feel like it's not just quantity now. It is starting to turn into quality. And I think he's an interesting contrast to a Felix uh, Ojer Eliassime because it took Felix you know, how many bites of the apple before he won a final? And you already have Holger Rune, who's won a master's title over Novak Djokovic. You know, if we're going to, you know, put, uh, give credit to Felix for beating Nadal in turn, I think you have to give probably double points to to Rune for what he was able to do against Djokovic in a master's final. It's just massive. I mean, that is, that is a signature win, and that's going to only buoy his confidence going into 2023. Again, to your point, really wasn't much of a factor the first quarter of 2022. And went on, I think about an eight or nine match losing streak after the French open. So, I mean, there are two really big pockets of, of point opportunities that the Dane has. And I think he's, he's really only improving. And I think we're going to see a pretty massive rise from him next year. It's a very good call. And again, go watch him hit forehand to forehand with Tsitsipas. It's one exchange. He was winning that exchange. And I'll tell you what, when Stefano Tsitsipas has his weight behind his forehand, that's as lethal of a forehand as you'll find on the ATP tour. So Holgaruna, very good pick. And just a fun fact for you, DK, because you know I love me some stats. You know I love me some ELO ratings. You look at tennis abstracts, overall ELO ratings right now, which again, measure not just where you be, who you, uh, you know, what round you beat someone and where you beat them at, but measure who you beat and what the score is against them. Carlos Alcaraz, number two in overall ELO. Felix right now, number three in overall ELO. Holgaruna, number seven in overall ELO. Your two young guys, Alcaraz Runa, I'm going two young guys as well, and it's going to be fascinating to see. Some fans right here, if you're hearing this, tell me which first two picks you like better, Alcaraz Runa or FAA and Yannick Sinner, which ah, is who go. I, of course, am going with here today. Sinner, a tier one guy for me, of course, as well. You look for the Sin Man was one of just two players to reach the second round of all four majors this season. It was him and Rafa. You look for Yannick Sinner very quietly, 47 and 16 overall on the year DK that 47 and 16 number fifth overall in win percentage on the season trails just Djokovic Nadal Alcaraz and Kyrgios on the year now of course the big number for uh, for Yannick Sinner this season he was two and eight in quarterfinals that he played throughout the course of the year that said where were the 10 quarterfinals Australia Wimbledon U.S. Open Miami, Monte Carlo, Rome, so six of the biggest events of the year, then Dubai, Umag, where he goes on to beat Alcaraz in the finals, Sofia, and Vienna, where he gets knocked out by Medvedev. I understand when you look for Yannick Sinner, his record against players ranked in the top 20 this season, 4-10 overall, his record against top 10 players, 3-9 and nine overall. That's the only threshold he has left to climb above. And you look for Sinner, another one of those guys who was top 10 in both, uh, excuse me, top 25 in both hold and break percentage, one of the 10 guys to be on that list. And yes, he deals with injury issues here and there. You feel like there are times when Yannick Sinner's knee might snap every time he slides just because he is so skinny. And just because, again, it might be the worst thing in the world you can imagine, like a Kevin Ware scenario where the bone pops out and you're just like, oh, this is disgusting because he is a little bit of the thin man. That said, he has answered every, you know, I mentioned the 4-10 and 10 record against opponents inside the top 20, 43-6 and six against opponents ranked outside the top 20. And like half of those losses were either retirements midway through 
or three set losses that were ultimately extraordinarily close. Like, I just, he beats everyone he's supposed to beat. Because if you can't handle the relentless power you're going to get from the very first ball in the match, and yes, to some extent, Yannick Sinner is a little bit just one speed, but I'm all in on that one speed. I have said this a million times on this show. You can draw a direct through line to the match he played against Tiafo in Vienna at the end of 2021 to the energy we see from him match in, match out throughout the course of the 2022 season where Tiafo punked him in that Vienna match. Tiafo got in his head. Tiafo got the crowd engaged. And you could tell Yannick Sinner learned from that moment and said, I will never let that happen to me again. I think Yannick Sinner will look at that 4-10 and record We'll go back, study the film the top of his top 20 matches. I've said this before. I'll say it again. He had freaking match point against Alcaraz at the U.S. Open. He wins that match point. I think he goes on to win the tournament. I think everything we've been saying about Alcaraz, we would have instead been saying about Sinner over the course of the past two months. I'd bet on the person. I'd bet on the player. I bet on the games. I didn't think Yannick Sinner was fast, you know, back in... Ben Rothenberg and I got in a big argument about this because I was like, I don't see it with the hips. Like, they're a little stiff, a little narrow. I don't know if he's going to be an elite athlete that's required to be a top-end tennis player in, in, in the 2020s. I no longer feel that way. I just, again, I ask you this. What's the weakness for Yannick Sinner? Like, how do you go about attacking him? Maybe you wear him down physically, but like, okay, you were able to do that when he's 20, 21, but now he's going to be 22 years old. And three years from now, he's going to be 25 years old. And it's just like, those are the, the low-hanging fruit. How time fruit. works, guys. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> sh- uh, revelation there. Breaking news here. Three years later from 22, you're 25. Good math. DK. Stats here. Big at Cracked Rackets. The point is, the the thing he is weakest at, second serve, physicality, first serve percentage, Those are three of the most controllable things for any player to improve. And I just think structurally, to see him improve as a volleyer the way he has, not just from a technique standpoint, but his willingness to move forward, to see the strides he has already taken physically, I'm just all in on the Sin Man's game. I think the fact that he was ranked 15 is criminal this year. Like, Cam Norrie was not better than him at his best in 2022. Pablo Carreño Busta had a better Toronto. That's about the only thing he was better than, at than Yannick Sinner in 2022. Even a guy like Hubie Hercots may have been, may have had, like, two better results at big events. But who made more quarterfinals? You know, you look at the total quarterfinals in this 2022 season overall in terms of, you know, overall amongst top 50 players, just sheer number of quarterfinals. Yannick Sinner, 10 quarterfinals on the year, trails only FAA, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Alcaraz, Rude. Like, and he's tied with a bunch of guys as well, but he put himself in position at all the biggest tournaments, all the biggest matches, didn't get over that hump. But guess what? That's what happens to young players. So that's why he's my pick. I would be shocked if he does not make the tour finals next year. I mean, I'm a little leery on the emphasis on quarterfinals. It feels very me in 2005 talking up Nadia, <laughs> Nadia Petrova's uh, 2006 prospects. She made so many quarterfinals. It's <laughs> sky's the limit. Um, it's interesting the way that our themes, you know, are the 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 way our the theme of our teams are taking shape. I mean, it really feels like you're you're collecting the guys who many. We're assuming we're going to be the next big things in 2021. Mm-hmm. We may and... just bu- jump the gun in 20. 20- like again, jump the gun. That's all that happened. And I have picked the guys that are, you know, 
in danger of making your guys feel like old news come 2024. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like the problems with Felix right now are also the problems with Sinner. Structurally, there's nothing wrong with their games and they are putting themselves in position for success. The problem is when they are in these positions for success, they are not succeeding. I mean, I go back to that Wimbledon match against Novak Djokovic. He wins the first two sets. You know, Carlos Alcaraz, I think, figures out a way to win one of those next three sets against Novak Djokovic. You know, the fact that Yannick really, it was a long, painful loss, really felt emblematic, really, of the year. Just the fact that he had these opportunities, you know, doesn't get the job done. And obviously, he's a bit more physically limited compared to a Felix or a Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, I think we were comparing the three at the start of this year and sort of the upshot of who had was going to have the better season. And I think can't remember i might have picked alcaraz i don't remember but i'm gonna i'm gonna give myself (laughs) deserved credit uh, retroactive credit on that one if even if i ended up picking center of felix i don't remember i I, my my mind the way my mind works i think i would have picked carlos but with that said um obviously you know it's hard to bet against these guys because there's nothing crazy wrong with their game where you think oh this is not gonna last this you know this isn't gonna sustain how is this sustainable they they both play sustainable top 10 games and with the passage of time as we discussed it's more and more likely that they will continue to rise up the rankings as some of you know their elders uh recede from the the the, recede from the top of the game you know it's the same it's the same criticism for felix that i have of yannick i mean he's got to Get a signature win. He's got to get a signature result at a slam. Cam Norrie's ranked ahead of Yannick Sinner because Cam made a semifinal at Wimbledon. Well, actually, actually not because of the points. So I'm now I'm a little confused. I'm a little confused. Cam also made the same amount of quarterfinals for what it's worth. That's why they're similar. Yeah. I mean, they are about like what the four thirty points behind. uh, Uh, Literally, Yannick Sinner right now is currently ranked fifteenth. Norrie's fourteenth. He's thirty five points more than Norrie. Yeah. So I mean, Norrie has thirty five. Yeah. So it's the same season. Statistically tied, I suppose. So I agree. Yeah. I, I withdraw. But with that said, yeah, I think it's, you know, they're two really talented guys. And you have to think they are in that conversation. There's certainly maybe that top eight conversation of guys who could win a Grand Slam in 2023. Uh, you know, with obviously Alcaraz, Djokovic, Nadal, Runa, uh, maybe even Daniel Medvedev, should he come back as a Sitsipas of Rude. You know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to really, but they're going to have to really make this their their year because they are in some danger of these slightly younger guys really eclipsing them because in the in the time it took them to get to where they are, they're in danger of being eclipsed. See, I don't think it has to be this year for either of those guys. Another guy who I considered picking, but I just didn't want to have to do this to you, was Zverev. Like, I watched World Tennis League, and again, exhibitions, I only take the extremes, positives, negatives, and Zverev looked fine at the World Tennis League, and I just, he has been one of the five best players for the last three years. I would be shocked if we don't see him at the World Tour Finals come November 2023, but, and I think there's an urgency for Zverev that doesn't exist for Alcaraz, Runa, FAA, Sinner, who are a clear-cut generation younger. That said, you know, we're an hour into this podcast, we're only four picks in, so we can speed things up now here for you, DK. It's a snake draft, so I am up next once again, and now we move into that 21 to 50 category. I have two names I would like to point to pretty clearly here. I think you're going to take Davidovich Fokina. That's not a name on my list, I'm just trying to do I mean, to be fair, that's him there. and Carlo, uh, him and Casper Ruder on a different list. Yeah. <laughs> Not the, not the game we're playing today, my friend. Yeah, by the way, uh, when you withdrew your motion, uh, that's you. I assume you're speaking to Judge Westoff, who, of course, is the arbiter of all motions, withdrawn or not otherwise. So. I do feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. Yeah, that made me ecstatic, for the record. That was why I like having you on the show always. 
All right, I'll tell you who I'm thinking about for my two picks because I imagine you're going to pick one of them as well. I'm going to try and glean from your face which one I should go with. I am between Sebi Corda and Jack Draper, who I think, again, sticking with this theme of young players who are on the precipice of making a leap, I think these are the two guys, uh, Corda at 33, Draper at 42, who just scream making another leap. (sighs) I love you, Sebi. You've been really nice to us here at Cracked Rackets over the years. I'm going with the lefty Jack Draper. I just think when you watch Jack Draper play, it screams this is a top 20 guy for the next 10 years moving forward. And certainly statistically, there were moments in the season when Draper, for when he was fact, when his challenger results weighed a little bit more heavily on him statistically, he was one of only five guys at the time who ranked top tw- uh, top 15, excuse me, in both hold and break percentage. And you know, you look for Draper how he managed to finish his 2022 two season obviously the notable result the quarterfinals in Canada where he beats Tsitsipas he you know beats Montfit played a really fun first match against Carreño Busta obviously for him to beat Felix at the U.S. Open almost you know seemingly beat Hatchinov despite being half injured during the course of that match you look for Draper overall held 86.1 percent of the time broke 27.1 percent of the time he is a top 20 guy one of only six guys you would say that about in the 2022 season now you filter out all the challenger level just go with his ATP results 19 and 14 overall on the year holds 84.8 percent of the time break serve 23.7 percent of the time I think that's the more accurate barometer and that would still put him as one of 10 guys to rank top 25 for the year in both hold and break percentage and as flashy as the serve is as flashy as the first forehand is as easy as it is to see his repeat a you know repeating attack uh, how easy it is for him to replicate that attacking game it's the backhand to me like has this kid ever missed a backhand in his life he's so smooth off that wing such a fluid athlete for a kid who you know this month just turned 21 years old and you look for him in his career we've only really seen him play like 30 35 40 total ATP matches in his career and yet right away he was up to speed right away the speed of the game clearly did not overwhelm him now how does that backhand hold up on clay courts? How does he move on clay courts at the tour level? That's something I definitely want to see a little bit more of, but physically I test wise all these different categories results we've already seen from him I mentioned he's already gotten big wins over Felix at a slam over Tsitsipas in a Masters event he beat Fritz at Queens Club earlier this year and as a young Brit who's had a ton of pressure on him over the years excuse me beat uh yeah Fritz at Queens Club this year I believe he made the quarterfinals of Queens Club last year 2021 indeed he did where he beat Sinner and Bublik before getting knocked out by Nori This is a guy who's had a lot of expectations on him, a lot of resources thrown his way, and it's never overwhelmed him. He's continued to deliver. Uh, Again, I don't know him well. Seems like a humble kid, kid who wants to work hard, kid who's ready to sort of go through those matches, experience the sort of pressures that come with being a talented young uh, player. And again, eye test-wise, metrics-wise, I have no doubt about his game. His first serve, his ability to create first strike offense seems very replicable moving forward. I'm all in on Draper. He's my third pick, DK. I'm glad you kept it short. Um, 
I mean, Draper's an interesting one for me. I didn't immediately think of him because my prevailing memory of him is, again, going back to Wimbledon up against uh, Alex Stevenar and just getting the sense that he wasn't quite ready for prime time, might have just been physically a bit gassed after the week that he had at his home slam, but then comes to the U.S. Open and gets a big win over Felix Ogiel-Yassim. So I think that's, again, we're looking for guys who are showing that they have to, the potential to pull off big wins at big tournaments and Definitely a sexy pick. No pun yeah. intended from a Jack Draper. <laughs> it is crazy to look at this group of guys. And again, we've picked five guys age 22 or younger. Like I, I said this earlier. I think this is one of our themes of the offseason. How quickly we as a tennis intelligentsia, me, you, the other people in the, in the know, are moving past the next gen and are ready to look at the next gen 2.0, like which both of our lists reflect right now. It is nuts to me, like that. How quickly we were, like much like the lost generation. It's kind of like, yeah, Medvedev won one. Team snuck his out. I'm still holding stock that Zverev will eventually get to one slam. I just think there's too much talent there. But like, other than that, I'm looking at these young, talented kids, and I'm ready to turn the page. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of figure skating a lot. Like, if you cannot there maintain. We go. 66 minutes for figure skating reference. If you can't maintain that top-level arsenal, you risk becoming old news at a ridiculously young age. I mean, you know, your Casper, Stefanoses, your uh, even, you know, a Rublev, a Zverev, they're all, none of them are old by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) And yet, you know, if, you know, if Felix and... um, Yannick are in danger of being old news. They they feel positively ancient compared to uh, Holger and uh, Carlos Alcaraz. So it's it's a tricky one, but I mean, it's reality. And it's really been interesting to see sort of the bottom fall out of the age range with the ATP. I mean, because we still have, I don't know, 90-year-old Rafael Nadal and 88-year-old Novak Djokovic still playing and competing top five level tennis. It feels like things have not changed in the landscape of men's game in the last couple of years. And yet, if you look down the rankings, we are seeing guys in their early to mid-20s coming up the rear. And it feels like sooner rather than later, they are going to be the ones lifting the Grand Slam titles. And I think the fact that Alcaraz was able to finally you know, break through for those younger guys, something about it feels like more of a, a regime change than perhaps even when we saw uh, Dominic team against Alexander Zverev in the U.S. Open final, you know, a U.S. Open final that had no fans, that was in the middle of covid <laughs> obviously what happened to both of them in in the year or two that passed. So it felt that didn't feel as legit, you know, in, in the sense of what, what we're seeing in the future of men's tennis, this feels very different. And so, um, yeah, definitely you're, you you want to look towards this next gen of guys. I mean, it's the, again, the next gen marketing really has paid off phenomenally well for the ATP. They, they have to be patting themselves on the back. 1000%. And I'm looking at my big board right now of names I'm looking to and all of them fall into this next gen 2.0 category. I think you gonna you can guess where I'm going with my next two picks. But with that said, we snake back to you, DK. You've got your two 21 through 50 slots. Let's hear the names. I mean, I feel like you sort of tipped your hand and I'm, I'm inclined to kind of steal Sebi Corda just to, <laughs> just to make your life difficult. Um, For the record, yeah, it actually I'm makes my that. life easier if you don't, because if you or if you do, because if you take Corda, then I can start cheating and start doing the things I love to do, DK. So by all means, take them. I, mean, I mean, I do have two picks right now, yes. so I'll start with if we're if we're casting this sort of wet hot American summer. We've had two two young campers, and I think every crazy camp needs a crazy counselor, and so I'm going to go with number twenty two, <laughs> Elo rating number four. I know Elo ratings, Nick Kyrgios. I think that you know. <laughs> For all of the talk of his sort of disappointing losses over the year, I mean, that is, he is a situation where we, I think we don't give enough credit to 
the fact that he was just so incredibly consistent in 2022. And I have to think that he is one where you feel like just one match breaks his way and he's, you know, a big time, you know, a master's 1000 winner, a grand slam champion. He was that close in 2022. It's hard to remember that because the losses at the ends of some of those tournaments were so catastrophic, disappointing, overwhelmingly emotional. And yet I have to think he learned a lot from this year proved to himself that when he gives his all, he can really put himself in position to win a Grand Slam title. I have to, I have to hope that he learned from sort of the nerves that really plagued him against uh, uh, Karen, Karen Kachanov at the U.S. Open quarterfinal. That was a bit of a surprise. He didn't expect him to maybe be so passive in that fifth set against the Russian. And yet, you know, Kyrgios showed up at the year in finals to play doubles. I have to think his head is in the game for Australia. The fact that he'll have to, you know, really hit the ground running in January at his home slam makes me think that he, though, this is, this is really his last, you know, big shot 2023 to 2024, where he can make that push for the major that we all believe based off of his just obvious talent that he's uh, capable of getting. I'm doing a make or break podcast later this week. Haven't decided if it's with a guest are. or solo, um, but my make or break ATX yeah, cause Hey, three shows to fill my friend. Uh, we got to <laughs> find podcast topics on my list of ATP make or breaks right now. Spoiler alert folks, but you're listening to minute 71. So you deserve this. Kyrgios, Hatchinov, Demonauer, Shapovalov, where it's like all of you for various purpose, different points, um, different purposes, 2023 years make or break for one reason or another. For some, it's if you want to be a tier one talent, Shapovalov, you got to show me in 2023 that you can do it for 40 plus weeks. For Demonauer, it's like, is the sea, it's, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but the window for Nick Kyrgios is this 18-month run, and it started with Wimbledon here in 2022, and it probably ends at the end of this season because of how many young players we've already alluded to, the fact that Nick was seemingly healthy for the first time for a 12-month run in maybe four, five years, and you look for Kyrgios, he was top five in win percentage here this season overall. You look for Nick Kyrgios, he uh, ends the season 37-10, 78.7 win percentage, and obviously... It feels like Wimbledon, especially before these young guys, Sinner, Alcaraz, all these guys get their grass court reps under them. Like the Wimbledon window is right now for Nick Kyrgios. There's no doubt. 2022, 2023, I think 2024 can be extended in that window as well. But you hear him talk about how he feels pressure and he's not excited to play. And he's always hinting at making that move towards retirement. Like you're absolutely right. This is the window. You're 21 in the world, 22 in the world, excuse me, so you can get into all the big events now. The serve is unequivocally elite, and you look for him last season, held serve 92.9% uh, of the time. That was the best on the ATP Tour, better than Isner, better than Opelka, better than Hercots, the elite of the elite. And again, when you're over that 90% threshold, you are putting together a historic serving season. Yeah, everything clicked right for him in 2022, What's the barometer for success for him in 2023? I mean, it's got to be at least another slam final, if not a slam. I mean, it feels like singles he's, or he's doubles so or just singles in singles because he okay. did it in doubles last year. Yeah. It's not, I mean, obviously that was the the launch pad for him and the fact that him sure. and Tanasi were able to, you know, ride the ride the uh, ride the wave and the fact that it didn't satisfy him competitively. I mean, for someone who's, you know, really talked up the value of team sports and mm -hmm. being with his friends, the fact that he managed to win the Aussie Open, his home slam with his good buddy and then didn't rest on his laurels for the rest of the year makes me think that it really did unlock something in him competitively to think, I just did this in doubles. I could sure as hell do this in singles. Very well said. I, I agree with you there. So who's your next pick? So my next pick, I'm actually going to, I'm going to zag a little bit and I'm going to pick an Italian, I'm going to pick an Italian and Sinego? go for. No. 
Okay. Again, Ooh. a different different list. That that's the Billboard. <laughs> that's the Billboard Hot 100. Um, no, but I'm not going to go with the Lorenzo Musetti, who I actually was really impressed with Ooh. this fall. Felt like an overdue surge from the young guy. We've given a lot of love to the 19 year olds, a lot of love to the 21 to 22 year olds. You know, Musetti is smack dab in the middle. One of those uh, pandemic surgers. That guy, you know, really sort of came into his own in the fall of 2020, and hasn't always gotten it all to, all the way together. But you just look at that sort of natural talent. You know, the power off that one-handed backhand side felt like things are finally starting to come together for him. Won his first uh, 500, beat with a win over Alcaraz, you know, gets the win in, in Naples and finally makes his first Masters quarterfinals. You have to think he, of all of them, uh, is really inspired by what your Alcarazes and Runas have been able to do in 2022. And he's got to think, I could do this as well. So we're, we're, we're keeping it real young, <laughs> aside from Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, no, I mean... You know, Musetti turned 20 years old this past March. will turn 21 here this year. Uh, he was just so much better on quicker surfaces throughout the course of this year. And just, again, the forehand seemed to hold up in a way that it didn't early in his career. He seemed able to generate pace in a neutral position much more easily than he did in 2021. And even when he was breaking through at the end of 2020. And again, the key was not all of the success came on clay courts. He was able to make a quarterfinal at the Paris Masters. He was able to win a title in Naples as well. Semifinals in Florence. Another guy who, by the way, go to tennis TV, watch his offseason, clearly is putting in the work, putting himself, surrounding himself with the right people to do the right things. It's a really good pick. And athletically, he answers a lot of questions of things you would want to see from a player in 2022. So I have no qualms with it. Again, it is a very young list. And, you know, as I look towards my next pick, I'm taking Ben Shelton as my wild card, 51 plus, just because how can I not have Ben? on this roster and you know again we'll do the Ben very very quickly I very nearly wanted to pick him just no (laughs) exactly I knew you were gonna pick him if I didn't so I have to pick him now but he won his last 15 matches of the season he cracked the top 100 he's traveling outside of the United States for the first time in his life which is just adorable 40 and 11 overall in pro matches big lefty explosive athlete it feels like you have to ask Ben Shelton to slow down, never to speed up, because he's still just too fast sometimes for uh, the game that he needs to play. And, you know, again, whenever when the question when you don't worry about someone being able to play at the speed, when you have to worry about reining them in, that's what you want as a coach. You want to be, have to rein someone in. You know, as yes. Mike Kaysen always says to me, he's like, why I love working with you, Gruskin, is I never have to ask you for more. The best is I always just have to say, nah, didn't need that there. You know, didn't need that rant there. We can work this in a little bit slower, a little bit more steady and like kid's 20 years old. Like, come on now. And he's been the best in the world at something. The best college tennis player in the world. I say this all the time. You can't fake the confidence you get from being the best in the world at something. And he has that intrinsic confidence, intrinsic sense of belief that I believe will continue to get him rising. That's my next pick. Do you have any Shelton commentary? Just that it's impressive that he's finally leaving the country for the first time. He's heading to Australia. I couldn't believe it that someone of that age who plays the sport that he plays has never made it out of the country yet. So it's well, going to be a an informative year. He didn't really lock in on tennis full-time till he was 13, 14, 15 years old. As such, the junior slams weren't really a door open to him, and it all is sort of fresh, sort of new, and I love that for him. I love that it's fresh. I love that it's new, and even if there are some struggles along the way, he has no points to defend until June begins. Zero. Zero points to defend until June. It's a good place to be mathematically. All right. (sighs) My 21 through 50. Do I go with Corda? Do I go with Stricker? 
Do I go with Ebing Wu? Because I think you're going to take Dominic Team as your 51 plus. I feel pretty confident that no. Get out of my a... head. Yeah. I... DK, we're partners at this point. I see oh, what you're thinking. I know Ouch. what you want to do. Uh, no, I say that as a compliment, DK. I view you as one of the great thinkers of our generation as it comes to the tennis intelligentsia. And that's what a great thinker would do is take Dominic Team. You got to lead with the compliment because then when you pick Ebing Wu, who is currently ranked 116 as your 21 through 50 guy. <laughs> Might make me more annoyed somehow than if you'd pick Stricker, which would also annoy me, but Ebing Wu is your 21 to 50 would really just... Yeah, but it's, you remember how we list. talked about the Jung Chin Wen photo spread in Racket Magazine? Did you see the Ebing Wu spread for the Chinese magazine? I did. I mean, you know, not a lot, not a, a, a ton of re- amazing reasons to live in China, but one of them is evidently get these amazing photo shoots with, the, uh, yeah. with these players. Absolutely. And so, how mad do I want to make you right now? Here's the thing. I'm so on the Stricker bandwagon because I say this lovingly. He's got baby fat still. Like, his body is not a pro athlete's body. And his ability to play tennis is how a grown man plays freaking tennis. And it's just like when those two things meet up in the center, as they eventually will, Dominic Stricker will spend the majority of his career inside the top 50. The weapons are too big. He's a lefty who can hit the slider out wide, who can serve in volley, who can do all these things. And by the way, is a great athlete, has a great first step, has a great sense of, uh, has a great court sense of how to craft points. Again, some people are just lifelong tennis players who get how to win points, who get how to get from X to Y to Z. And he's one of those people. But Sebi Korda's still on the board. So I'm taking Korda for all the obvious reasons as my 21 through 50. I am doing a podcast with Ben Rothenberg where we're going to make – it's now an annual podcast because it's our second year in a row doing it where we make our predictions, top 10 Americans, men and women, and I kicked it last year. I hope to kick it again this year. He's my pick. For every reason you expect, the guy just started lifting weights literally at the start of 2022. His back was finally healthy enough for him to be able to do those things. He's my pick. I feel pretty good about it. Comes from a sporting family. The The name of the game here these last three months is all about the nepotism babies. He's a nepotism baby through and through. We'll stick with that theme here to end the show. And by the way... I hate nepotism baby as a term because God forbid a parent tries to help their kid out as they've worked their whole life to build this, you know, this line of success. And, hey, I'm going to use my success to help my child. Like, oh, no, what a cardinal sin. I think it's an asinine term. Anyways, Sebi Cordes. Although my I have to add, my, from my favorite thinker, Fran Leibowitz, talked about Nepo babies a couple of years ago. And she Shit. made reference to how they often say, well, they helped me get my foot in the door, but I had to do everything else when – 99% of the game is getting your foot in the door, so just food for thought. <laughs> no, no, no. I get it. I'm not saying I'm writing off the entire concept, but I also think there should be, like, a disclaimer paragraph at the at the end that, like, by the way, parents helping kids, good thing moving forward. Because you want to know where all of history's villains have come from, David? This is one of my theories I'm working in again. <laughs> Minute 81. Here's a treat for all of our Cracked Rackets listeners. I think every villain in history can be treated back to your parents just didn't love you. And, like, your parents didn't love you properly. Because if you've experienced love and you know what it means to be hugged, like, there are times when I just think Elon Musk needs his dad to just hug him and say, Elon, I love you. And just, like, what that would do for him intrinsically. And just, like, again, why I think I'm not the shittiest human in the world is I know, like, push comes to shove, my family loved. Like, I know I'm loved. I know my mom, my dad, they will support me no matter what. And so I don't need to be 
searching all for the, all these people's approval because of the people who I actually care about, I know care about me. And like trace back to history's villains, all of them. I just don't think we're properly loved by their parents. And like, I think when you're 90 minutes into a tennis podcast, I think it's pretty clear that our parents really loved us. Because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if there was any other kind of person would be able to do this. Well said. Clearly, we received a lot of love and encouragement growing up. Well I'll say said. That. I just think anyone who can't walk into their household and immediately hug their parents, like that's flaw number one, where it's just like love. Know how to show and receive love. And I think history's villains do not know how to do that. Anyways, I think Seppi Kord has received a lot of love in his life, and so I think he's going to be successful moving forward. Mm. That's, yeah, that's we're we're all pick. keeping up with that Kardashian, that's for sure. Yeah, that's my last pick. Yeah. <laughs> Still brutally disappointed. I'm just going to talk over your laughing fit. I'm yeah, brutally disappointed gonna... that he admitted that the agent came up with the Kardashian name. I was like, that is something you lie about. You say that is something <laughs> me and my sisters came up with and that's our brand and we're sticking to it. You don't say, oh, my agent came up with it in sort of a crass, craven branding opportunity. It really, it, it, it broke my heart. I, it was in my head that they were all in the court of playpen referring to themselves as the Kardashians. It really just it threw me for a loop, I have to say. Yeah. All right, well then, with all that said, last pick goes to you. Make it official. I know who you're taking, but do I'm it I'm going to go with him just because he's on multiple lists, but I'm going to put him on my my list for the draft just because the way he ended the season, the way he played World uh, at the World Tennis League, it feels like it's all coming together for Dominic team. If he doesn't end the season ranked at least top 20, it would be really shocking to me. He was really ending the year on a bit of a high note. It's been such a brutal comeback for him. And you have to think just with that weaponry, if he's healthy, that physicality, he's got to become a factor again uh, in 2023. And I think, again, this is a, a talk about a make or break season. This is his big shot to prove that that U.S. Open win was not a fluke. It certainly wasn't a fluke at the time based on how he was building up towards uh, that ma that first major win. But in retrospect, if, you know, if he's not able to um, – get back to where at least close to where he was he risks being that sort of in that chillich-esque space where uh, yeah that's that's sort of a, a weird footnote in tennis history he won the pandemic slam you would hope for more from uh, a guy as nice as dominic team and so i'm putting him on, on the end of my list completely fair what's the barometer for success you said top 20 as the metric for me, it's just top 50, like playing Masters, playing all these things, so he doesn't have to use wild cards anymore. To put himself back in the mix, for me, that's what a successful 2023 looks like. You want to hear something terrifying? Guess how old Dominic Team turns in 2023. I mean, it's right in front of me, and yet I don't know. 30 years old. Turns 30 in September. That's devastating. That is – we're getting old, me and you, yeah. DK. I don't like that at all. I thought the big thing for me was that he clearly gained half a step of movement by the end of the season. He looked slow at the start, playing his challengers, playing the early clay court matches. And, you know, the tennis always looked great. His ability to strike the ball was never in question. His ability to strike the ball on the run, as it takes with every player, that's what took a little bit of time to come back. But whether it was in Hyon, whether it was in Antwerp, even the match he played against Medvedev in Vienna, coming off of that, what, two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour thriller against Tommy Paul, the weapons are still there. He's not as fast as he was prior to the injuries in 2020, but I'd say he's still, he's now just a step away instead of maybe the two and a half steps away he was at the start of his comeback here this year. And for me, it's just, again, get back to the level. Doesn't have to be the prime of the prime, but be in the mix, be in the ball game. That's a successful season to me. What say you? Final word goes to you. 
definitely. I mean, I, mean, I want to see a strong clay swing from, from team. I feel like that's obviously where he's going to gain most of his points, but I really want to see a few, you know, Madrid Rome quarterfinals, maybe a Roland Garros second week quarterfinal. It feels like we want to see him building back towards, you know, another major title perhaps, or at least a major, another major semifinal final. I mean, and in the blue sky uh, scenario, I definitely would like him to make maybe a grand slam semi. I mean, this is a guy that was consistently making the latter halves of slams with an off season under his belt. You have to think that he's going to be that much better in 2023. So I would, I would like a pretty substantial run. And again, with the way that the field sort of shakes out, there's, you know, there's that top tier of guys and then there's a lot of room, you know, after that. So I think that he's got to really figure out how, where he fits into this current field. And with, again, with that, with that weaponry and with that physicality, you have to think that he fits in well, should he, you know, feel fully confident and fully healthy. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Again, that doesn't mean win a Grand Slam here in 2023. It just means get yourself back in the mix. And tennis is a better place when Dominic Team is a significant part of the ecosystem. With that said, any honorable mentions? Any final people you would throw out there? I mentioned Stricker, Ebing Wu. I think they both end the season inside the top 50, not just the top 100 for the first time in their careers. I have Jack Sock, who I know is now working with Nick Monroe, and every report I've heard is that Sock is fitter than he has ever been and that he is making one more serious top 20, top 15 sort of singles push here in 2023. It's a name I would throw a flyer on. Any other flyers you'd like to put out there, DK? I mean, definitely shout out to a couple of Americans, your Tommy Pauls, your Brandon Akashimas sure. that didn't make the list, uh, a Borna Chorich perhaps, based on how he, you know, the way he was able to do in Cincinnati, and obviously... Kind of give some up to my Casper Rude. I gotta feel like you know it's the sky's the limit for Casper, man. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen if you if you believe and you think it's gonna happen. Yeah, very well said. Um, all right. With all that in mind, DK, those are our ideal rosters of ATP players heading into 2023. Team Kane is Alcaraz, Runa, Kyrgios, Musetti, Team Team Gruskin, FAA, Sinner, Draper, Corda, Shelton. I killed you today. DK, you didn't even put up a fight. Like, come on, you're better than this. No, I'm just. I, I, I feel like I dropped a 2,000 calorie bomb on you, and I don't regret it. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well, with that in mind, one week before the season gets underway, hit me with the tennis.com plugs. What do you guys have for our final week of off-season content? Oh, I'm exhausted. Um, <laughs> I've, we're still doing our, our our questions for 2023. Obviously, the tennis pickleball question uh, came out today. We've got something coming out tomorrow. I haven't checked the calendar. It'll be a surprise to all of us. And obviously we've been going through this, the, the annals of the archives of, uh, of Nick Volatieri. If you if you're on baseline.com, a lot of really interesting tips and tricks, observations, highly recommend checking that out. We're just, we're still in off season mode. We're, 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 we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have a big, big start to 2023. Best believe. I like it. Leave all that in because yeah, we're all worn down by the month. That's all folks. Very well said. Well, shout out to DK who joined us for the drafts. As always, retweet the link. If you like David's team better, like the link. If you like my team better, we'll get into who wins. Winner at the end of the season, of course, going to be taken out to a three-course meal. Appetizers, main course, dessert at the Cheesecake Factory. If nothing else, maybe we do it at the U. I just want to do it in person, too. I think it would be really fun to have that meal. We can send out a photo. We can smile. We can wear our hats and do all the fun things that we do. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a say something hat day, as they say. Exactly. But with all that said, shout out to you. Shout out to our dear super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the 
of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well to Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the phenomenal David Kane, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. DK, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. <laughs> and we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, my friend. Nazvidaniya.